Good evening to all of you who have joined us for Dr. Alu Pandey's talk. And a very warm welcome to Dr. Pandey. Currently associated with the Sri Aurobindo International Institute of Integral Health and Research at Pondicherry, Dr. Alok Pandey needs no introduction. He walks the path of an integral life and is there for the other seekers in search of the sunlit path. It is always a great honor and privilege to hear Dr. Pandey share his insights. Today's talk would be followed by a question answer session. Kindly use the chat feature to post your questions. Dr. Jenti Banerjee would coordinate that part of the session. The topic for today is an aimless life is a miserable life. How to find, formulate and incorporate an aim in one's life. Over to you, Dr. Pante. Namaste and thank you for the kind words. I wish, uh, you know, we are all sincere enough to walk the integral path. It's a wonderful journey, challenging journey, and it engages us 24-7 all through life. That's the beautiful part of it. Now, coming to the subject today, we just first lay the broad foundation. When we speak about AIM, we need to look upon it in four or five ways. The first thing is that AIM is... Uh, not something which is just as a child we get an aim and we just you know discover it aim is something which is progresses and evolves as we progress and evolve so this evolutionary nature of aim is the first thing important to understand very often i have seen people when a child asks what is the aim of life so we have read the mother and we say that it's to find the divine. Now, you know, the child is at loss completely. We must understand, first of all, that even what is meant by the divine, there are people who have spent their life in pursuit of divine and yet don't know what they really mean by the word divine. Now, it's true that one can pursue the divine without having a conception of the divine, but it's, it helps to understand what we are really meaning by the word. The second part we must understand is that there is a general progression of the aim of life. There is an aim which life itself has put before itself. Now this aim is taking place in nature over millenniums and millenniums and trillenniums and billions of years. And our aim of life has to be in some way or the other aligned with this general aim. Because otherwise if we try to you know, put ourselves in cross current... Uh, Shurabindu puts it very beautifully, you know, taking a cue from Sanatan Dharma. He says, well, there is all is God. Now, an individual can say that I am God and proceed like that. But if he believes that I alone am God and everything else is not that, if he starts asserting a completely separate individuality as if nothing else existed in the universe and cuts himself off from the uh, universal truth, then there is a problem. So there is a general progression and our aim cannot be misaligned to that because otherwise we will be hit by the ongoing current of life. See what happens when we swim against the currents of life. So this is the second aspect. 
the third aspect of uh, the whole thing is that uh, uh, while we have an aim and we should be aligned to it apart from general aim there is something called as an individual aim so each individual within this general aim will have his own way own approach so this is the third aspect which is important i have already spoken about the principle of graduality through which the aim unfolds so aim unfolds as we progress through life so uh, and then the fourth thing which is important to understand is that each part of us has its own unique aim this is something which we often do not uh, understand and people often get into a lot of difficulty because of this because when they talk about aim they talk about one part of the nature and then either they do it by suppressing other elements in nature which at some point start rebelling and there is a chaos take for instance a person who says my aim is i am putting a very mundane way that my aim is to pursue higher studies higher studies and he goes on but what has the person done he has completely uh, energized the mind whereas he has suppressed the energies of the heart even maybe suppressed the energies of the vital and taken not taken care of the body so what happens while the mind pursues knowledge the heart is not nourished and the person becomes more and more dry more and more unhappy his relationships tend to you know become weak or if the vital has not been taken care of it may come out and even create an asuric human being who is intellectually very sound in knowledge but completely cold emotionless and with an unbridled vital this is exactly what an asura is and the body being weak it tends to become uh, more and more prone to illness so each part in us has its own unique fulfillment if i may say so and these are the four axes on which we have to look upon the aim of life so the first aspect what is the general aim of nature if we we don't have to read a book and we don't have to you know hear anyone we look at nature and we get all the lessons so the general aim if we look at nature over a long period of time so first thing we notice is change second we notice this change is a directionality and if we may say so a purpose now you know the directionality gives it a purpose so what really is the aim if we look at billions of years we can say that there is a change which is happening a change of form there is also a growth of consciousness from the worm to ape and man and through which there is a greater and greater manifestation of certain things which are latent now why we use the word latent because you know it has a bearing on what is going to come now within the fish there is a latent mind within the monkey there is a latent reason now all this we in fact uh, evolutionary biologists will tell us that you know there are three layers of brain there is the reptilian brain the mammalian brain and the human brain so there is a progressive manifestation so in nature if we just look at nature through large spaces of time we see two things one is there is the form which is evolving through a period of time and second is the consciousness and this consciousness what is this doing through the form bringing out greater and greater possibilities which were inherent within it now this relation of form and consciousness is very fascinating and it has a direct bearing on shurbindo's yoga let's take for example a child now a child may be born to become a hero a sage a wise man a super intelligent boy but in his when he is a little baby all that he can do is cry or maybe laugh or smile and you know because the instrument is not developed now as the instrument begins to develop we see the differentiation taking place 
beginning all children are more or less the same in terms of their basic activities they need food they have this you know basic biological function but as they grow up as the instrument develop we see that first it is the vital part with lot of energy and activity then as they begin to develop there is the questioning mind which comes in and some may even you know not go beyond it but still others who are marked for something still greater will feel a spiritual urge and angst and existential something going on inside so we see that as the instruments develop the consciousness within manifests itself so these both these aspects are important to take into consideration so the general aim is evolution in a certain way now when we zoom in on to human beings uh, in human beings uh, you know it's the teaching of the gita the old sankhya doctrine the evolution takes place along three layers the physical man the vital man and the mental man and beyond it the spiritual man this is the natural journey and it's very easy i mean we can take the same example and understand it or if we take the example of of the gita which speaks about the three gunas so there is uh, the first step is when we are fully in a state of tamoguna now if, again we don't need to read a book or understand but it's a it's a state which we all can identify it when we are completely submerged in obscurity there is not even a spark that wants to know we'll encounter we encounter children grown up and you know talk about aim they will say what aim we know what is the aim i want to enjoy life now there is not a thought given what is uh, this state of tamoguna it is a state when uh the fire of growth the urge for progress is completely submerged as it were in a state of darkness and obscurity there is a dullness all that one wants to lead is a routine life which is you know uh, so called comf- in comfort zones now this is first age the second is when the rajoguna becomes prominent and when the rajoguna is prominent there is lot of activity dynamic push we want to achieve we want to you know uh, compete we want to touch new heights we are adventurers we are uh, you know the warrior aspect develops within us the need to go beyond our little comfort zone to amass wealth to have fortunes riches all this comes in and then finally there is the satgun where there is a seeking now the moment there is a seeking of for knowledge of any kind there is the satgun now this is how nature helps man to develop or something within man rather and when it reaches that door of satgun and starts leading a life which is more oriented towards the right that's the time when human beings begin to say what is the right law of action how should i be what i should do in a given situation circumstance it's surprising that there are people who don't care about it i mean they just live life whatever impulse comes and this this is a very nice justification always that i'm flowing with nature it's my nature yes but uh, what kind of nature so nature itself is not one entity you know nowadays this is a modern term oh we flowing with nature but if we go back into the ancient uh, spiritual teaching which is ancient and yet modern because these are uh, truths of existence we see that nature also is many layered so we can swim in the lowest currents of nature that is nature it's somebody's nature to sit and do nothing and remain bored or you know just uh, Uh, flick on the tv channels that's nature but there is another nature which wants to switch off the television and says i must go out and be in real world and conquer that's also nature then there is another nature where we begin to question seek want to know learn we read study think meditate visit places meet people because we are a thirst with the fire of knowledge and then out of nature there is a need in man 
We are programmed to go beyond nature. That's why we see this tendency in science manifest by wanting to understand the forces of material nature to conquer it. What does a yogi want? He wants to conquer the forces of psychological nature. This is the highest kind of you know, adventure that, well, I get angry but I want to master my anger. Now, when these questions have begun to arise or awaken in the mind of man, then he is marked out for the real purpose for which nature is taking us. And what is it trying to do when we look at in this you know, great space of time? Nature is progressively manifesting. Something within us which is, uh, we may use the word perfection, we may use the word divine, but it is manifesting something which is hidden within it, like a latent potentiality, a latent power. So what does yoga do? Yoga, I am just touching upon it, which is on the aside. Yoga is a means to accelerate this process. Nature takes many lifetimes. That's, by the way, is the significance of rebirth. It's for evolutionary progression. So what yoga does is say, no, why is such a long time? Because it means a lot of suffering, pain, struggle. So it accelerates the process so that we take jump time. So this is about the general progression. Now, it's okay. We may say, ki, okay, fine, we have understood that from Tamagun to Rajagun to Satyagun. What do I do? I mean, do I have a role or I just, you know, cultivate Satyagun in their, in its own way randomly? So that's where we see something very interesting that there is something called as an individual path of evolution. And the Gita puts it in this way. It speaks of the Sadharma and Sabhav. So in this individual evolution, each of us has a certain center, a special mode of being, a way of being which is uniquely our own. And one of the ways to discover it is like, I ask this question to children. Okay, what is the core value? It's, you know, very often we'll see in statement, what is the core value? So initially they may not understand. So sometimes we have to put it across that, okay, between, let's say, justice, love, kindness, truth, knowledge, strength, power. Uh, what do you really value most? Beauty. So then they come out with a core value. Now this core value is the subhava, the unique mode of being, the unique temperament, the soul type. In the deepest sense, it is the soul type. And now why this is important is because our evolution while has to take place in certain general progression, but it has to be through the door of subhava. So it cannot be that, you know, there is a person for whom the center is knowledge. Now, if a person whose center is love tries to imitate that, he will, uh, you know, as the Gita puts it very beautifully, Sadharmo Nidhanam Shreya Par Dharmo Bhyava. So there are people I know in the ashram context whom, who asked the mother that they said, we cannot sit and meditate. And mother said, it's not necessary for everyone to meditate. She said, for you, work is the path. Somebody has actually shown me a letter written by the mother to this person who was, you know, a very good hockey player and then he started teaching hockey in the ashram school and he wrote to the mother. She said, no, it's not necessary for you. Work is enough. If you do work with the right attitude, you can progress 10 times faster than meditation. At the same time, to somebody else, Shabindu would say, doesn't matter. Let you spend time in meditation, that's your path. So it's important to see what is our subhava. And along with the subhava, there is sadharma, the law of action through which we will realize the aim. Aim is same, to arise out of, uh, you know, inferior modes of nature to the more superior modes and from the superior modes of nature to go beyond nature. This is the general. But each one has a unique key which one has to apply. Now this master key is what determines our individuality. 
Now, this has been falsified today, you know, like individuality is very important. But today, what we understand by individuality is a very, uh, you know, ego construct, you know, which we want to somehow assert and establish and along the lines which, you know, our ignorance dictate the collective suggestion, what we often call as aim. So, is nothing but a power of collective suggestion which hypnotizes us. It's like, you know, everybody is in a rat race for money, outer success. But actually, the game of life is never meant for that. It was never meant for that. If we really look at uh, nature, the book of nature, which I call as the original Veda. So, if you look at the book of nature, what is success? You know, we have this story and I often use this story, the hare and the tortoise story, you know, that Aesop's fable. So... Now, this story is a little bit of a problem right from childhood, I felt. <laughs> Which here, not all hares are going to sleep, you know, to allow tortoise to take over. So, the story is like, you know, to start with, it's a non-starter. So, why it's a non-starter? The tortoise did a wrong thing by saying, okay, I'll run the race with you. The tortoise would have been wiser had he told the hare, let's have the race on water. And let's see who wins. Not only water, underwater. Now, each one has his own great potential through which one has to climb. And very often when we get into this race, first of all, the game of life was never meant to for this success, failure. These are all, they are again means. And if we just go into that, those means, then we will miss out on the real aim. Aim is something which is more intrinsic. So, what we call as work that we need to do, people often mistake that, you know, I want to choose this vocation. That's not a name, that's a means. I want to become a doctor, that's a vocation. Why do you want to become a doctor? I want to amass a lot of wealth. Why do you want to amass a lot of wealth? Oh, then I'll be a powerful man. So, look at it. Now, aim is ultimately in, inwardly. You want to be a powerful man and you want to earn money. For that, you want to read, do medicine. I don't blame them because the amount of donation that is, you know, nowadays involved in becoming a doctor, it's astronomical. I just wonder, a person who can spend crores of rupees to get into a medical college, what is he going to do subsequently? But nevertheless, now this person, what he doesn't realize, that with all the wealth at your disposal, with all the degrees at your disposal, you will not have the authentic power. You won't have this much power even that if the electricity goes away, you can control your anger and your sweating. You know, this famous uh, story of uh, Buddha and uh, Ashoka, which, you know, shows it so well that when, uh, uh, you know, Buddha met Ashoka, as the story goes, and uh, King Ashoka says, I am the emperor, the conqueror, and Buddha says, I am also an emperor. So he says, what have you conquered? So Buddha asks Ashoka, what have you conquered? He says, vast dominions. He says, well, I have also conquered vast dominions. What are the domains you have conquered? I have conquered land. And he says, you know, you may conquer any amount of land, but you stand on two legs. Only that much land at a given point of time belongs to you. So Ashoka says, okay, fine, but what have you conquered? He says, I have conquered vast domains of my inner being, which belong to me, on which I stand, the true Bhumi. And I have mastered my nature. So you see, ultimately, we, we need to understand that aim is something intrinsic. And there are many steps towards it. This is the other part that we should not, you know, some people place before themselves an aim about which they are very vague about the steps. Now, often, you know, I speak about the mother and Shurabindu in this way. That Shurabindu is like someone who takes us in one leap from Kanchanjanga to Mount Ketu to Mount Everest. Finished. 
ट्रिपल ट्रांसफॉर्मेशन आई हैव सीन लेक्चर्स साइकिक ट्रांसफॉर्मेशन स्पिरिचुअल ट्रांसफॉर्मेशन सुपरामेंटल ट्रांसफॉर्मेशन वेर इज वी हैव नॉट इवन बिकम रीजनेबल ह्यूमन बींग्स someone was uh, long back uh, asking me about you know beyond man i said first become man you know <laughs> master your animal nature be reasonable yes that is the goal but by reading it you don't leap so there are many short steps and what the mother does she shows us how first you arrive at kanchanjanga then the steps you have to take in fact she becomes a bridge and takes us so what we sometimes forget is that there is a big gap between knowing things and doing them and this is what humanity suffers from terribly and that's why the mother repeatedly reminds us the one thing that we need i mean as at this point of time somebody says one quality you need to develop i would say sincerity because actually this is what fills the hiatus between the aim and actually realizing it we may have all the great goals you know everybody has a new year resolution it doesn't take 12 hours for the resolution to go away and what is the reason people give excuses that you know we are weak our will is weak you know what to do or justification human nature 100 things but actually if we look inside sincerity so we have never really been one pointed towards the aim that we have sought so one pointed means uh, to bring all our energies and align them towards it one pointed is not sitting and closing the eyes now let's say for instance somebody has the divine for a name so in everything i must look for divinity it means that in human beings to start with of course there's a most challenging to find divinity in human beings so we can start with plants easier to find divinity in plants so you know then animals easier to find even in tiger ferocious still you know there is a divinity even in snake if you observe from a distance a cobra going swiftly on the road there is a like grace in the movement but human beings is difficult to find because the person may be smiling and yet are burying a dagger under the sleeve but still there too to see divinity in all events circumstances somebody who is seeking the divine would equally in death and life in the tsunamis and earthquakes and volcanic eruptions everywhere will say that here is divinity in its grandiose music when there is a tsunami you say mahakali is you know kali is is trampling dancing over nature and feel the delight equally he will say an ant making an anthill and say what a divinity look at this you know divinity unfolding in little creature so when we use the word concentration and ingathering of energies on the aim it is not like we separate aim from life at least not the way of integral life it means now that becomes our preoccupation in all that we do whether it be eating whether it be you know uh going for a swim whether it be you know playing games exercise rest in all activities so when we do exercise we are not just doing so that we look good bodybuilders but we are doing to make the body more conscious when we read it's to make the mind more supple so this is the other part that we do everything so that we discover the divine through that activity in that activity and manifesting better and better so there are people who develop the consciousness quite well but they do not focus on the instruments so the mother speaks about developing the instrument because if the consciousness is developed the instruments are not adapted for instance he says mind must enter into uh, wideness now we lose so many opportunities to be wide as shubindo says oh eager disputant when thou has won in a debate you have lost an opportunity <laughs> you know <laughs> but uh, we teach 
you know how to win in a debate pros and cons but there is something still higher synthesize both are right you know that alice in wonderland who has won the race well all have won the race so there is a way that the mind can create a thesis antithesis and a synthesis where it understand that well there are different standpoint which are different ways of looking at it and there is a higher standpoint in which all these different ways are synthesized together so mind becomes wide it becomes supple it can learn to concentrate the mind should develop to such an extent that even in a crowd you can be alone and concentrate nothing disturbs even on a battlefield mother speaks of this she says my child you can concentrate even in a battlefield even all the noise is going on but the mind is able to gather all the energies and focus it now all this is in real time so yoga is done in real time in real life practice you know you are with people whom you may not like affinities master the affinities and try to you know still harbor love so these are uh, this about the mind then she speaks about love now this is another instrumental part of our nature you know love is so important in in creation it's the savior of creation it's you know to a eye that can see it will see love everywhere from stones right up to the supreme divine and yet the most neglected part i mean we know how to gather knowledge google search is there for everything except how to love i mean you will have all the nice theories <laughs> but it, you have to practice it so this aspect that we develop the instrumental part of our nature the mind the emotions it's an instrumental part of nature they can help us uh, find the greatest mysteries of existence and delight directly emotions have a direct uh, you know uh, outreach but equally if emotions are left untrained they can be so turbulent and lead to a total chaos in life passions passions are like fire tame it and it can you know fuel it with the best kind of fuel and see the it will make the journey of ascension so wonderful a person who is doesn't have enough passion in anything cannot really achieve whatever aim he may put forward so one must discover that's why they say discover your passion passion is so important and then of course the body if the body is sickly tired you know this is a completely neglected area so development of the instrumental being is also necessary if we want to fulfill and realize the aim and then finally the fourth aspect is that aim is we are not disembodied beings we are an integral being so we are not just mind mind centric that to not mind centric the left brain centric civilization where we develop our analytical rational faculties very good it's important what about the intuitive holistic faculties they remain asleep in children it is there but they lose it as they grow up so there are different aspects of consciousness different aspects of our nature and all of them must arrive at their fullness so uh, what is that fullness the term used is perfection now perfection is we can understand in in one way that for each level there is a perfection so perfection at the animal level at the level of the tiger is you know we know what perfection at the level of the tiger is if a tiger can't pray and if a deer can't run it's a you know lame deer and an incompetent tiger so what is perfection at the human level the beauty is at human level there is not one perfection but to keep on adding greater and greater possibilities and diamonds human beings are as a born programmed 
Our software is programmed to transcend ourselves and bring in new possibilities and then integrate it with the rest of the nature. So perfection implies an overall, all-round development by its very nature and all-round harmonious development. So reason and faith must be harmonized. The will for justice and the need for kindness, they must be harmonized. You can't just, okay, I am justice-oriented, so I become cold judge. But have no kindness. Equally, kindness should not be at the, you know, it may be kindness to let a criminal go free. But it becomes the cause of much chaos and disorder in the world. So we have to deliberately harmonize all that seems to be the opposites and in a state of perfection towards which we climb. All these seeming opposites can be beautifully harmonized and brought together in a harmonious whole. So these are just some of the thoughts so one is the general aim, then the individual door. Each one of us has a door, what was called in ancient times as the, the four-fold way of being, the four soul types. If I am engaged with physical matter, if it interests me, well, that's my road to perfection. You know, the person who creates beautiful things through matter does a great service to the world. It's as much a creation as a beautiful poetry. So very often we miss out. So it's his door of perfection to a person who is engaged in you know creating wealth and opportunities and bringing out beautiful products out of that he is also engaged in another kind of perfection and that is his unique door and there is other one a third one type of humanity for whom strength power um, justice uh, righteousness the arm of the hero that is the the heroic mold of temperament if you put a heroic mold of person in, you know, into business, now, you know, people often talk about vocation. Now, hero born leaders are leaders. Let him go on the battlefield. Let him lead a group in anything. Then he will bring out his best. So, uh, it's important from the social, uh, from the totality and the society point of view, from the collective point of view, that each one brings his best into this world. Which is what sometimes is missing because of this, you know, common social pressure. So each one must now, you know, today I was so happy to see this news that now two, two of the girls have, you know, joined Navy and they're going to fly the aircraft. And I was so happy that one of them is going to fly the Rafale. This is it. But if we look at society 50 years back, what was the paradigm? Ladki, achcha, she must learn garka ka kaaj. She has to only learn to cook, look after the home, get married, have children. And women accepted it as the valid aim. They even felt that if we do something else, we will be breaking the social order. But we must understand that the age of society dictating our aims is gone. Now is the age when the individual is coming out and he wants or she wants to have her own aims. So we have to assist in discovering it. What is that unique door? If there is an adventurer girl, she must find that mold, that type. If somebody is interested in music and dance, she finds that mold. Somebody is interested in seeking after knowledge, that mold. So this is how each one has his unique door, unique expression, which one has to discover by discovering taste, tendencies, interests, um, temperament. And one can you know, see from childhood, unfortunately the file gets corrupted. By the Trojan horse at home, sorry to say that. 
and then all the mahalla <laughs> and of course society hopefully also the school should not add to it <laughs> ultimately human beings forget who they are they become 99% and 95% you know which is really very absurd because it doesn't help even in knowledge <laughs> so anyway so there is an individual aspect of perfection then there is consciousness is the instrument both we must see and finally we must know that for each part for total development there should be mind which is uh, lit up with knowledge each corner of the mind and this is not just one kind of knowledge knowledge is not that i am a good doctor i have done my md dm and you know i can uh, rattle out all that i have read in books that is not knowledge that is memorizing things and you know information the mind of knowledge can cast its gaze anywhere and discover knowledge all those who are really you know look at uh, some of these people i just wonder you know how knowledge is a power it works in every dimension of aspect of existence knowledge is there in every aspect of existence and then of course love and then of course power and will which is a whole journey in itself the need for power is there in human beings but now we talk about uh, not only hard power but soft power uh, you know there is an inner power through which we can achieve things in a much better way there is the highest of power which clothes itself in humility and compassion and yet is nevertheless tremendous in its impact upon the world and of course there is the sense of beauty so two things in the end i must emphasize upon with which we can close and take in questions so one is what is missing very much as i said is this aspect of love and beauty and we another thing is we mistake completely uh, the true ananda which is the you know essence of existence with superficial joys and pleasures we say my aim is to be happy uh, well happiness cannot be a name happiness comes when we put in effort and progress otherwise if we put happiness as a name then after some time we get bored so people who are you know um, people have lots of money then they don't know what to do with it they feel they are happy so they start running from one place to another to you know buy happiness we are seeing all this drug cartel and all this exposes coming up it's very strange but not so strange if you look at it like this that you know what was missing in the life of those who had so much money success name it and they have it what is missing they are not happy why they are not happy because then only you take to such things because they are not really listening and following what their inner self wants them to be whereas there are actors who follow that lead and you know they are excellent but there are many who have gone into it just because of the glamour the success the outer thing which it brings but it cannot give happiness because we are disconnected with ourselves and the energy of love which is missing because of which you know one runs here and there in search with a begging bowl of love for love so this is these are the two aspects which we must uh, remember and lastly one thing which is never trained and uh, i myself know that uh, it took time to train that aspect is will it's very unfortunate will is the switch will and faith are the two master switches in a human being geeta goes on to say faith is the man and it, this faith has nothing to do with beliefs non beliefs religion nothing at all it is my faith which is the will to be whatever is my faith that becomes my will to be now this faith and will are completely neglected and left untrained so we have highly intelligent 
percentile or 99.99 who knows harvard educated and crooks and criminals sitting in seats of power this is what is a full blown asura and worse for it because he's too intelligent and too cunning and too deceptive because inside there was not even this much will to master the impulse towards you know uh, ruining society to master even a thing like selfishness these are small things which we need to understand so this is the overall just a very general picture in indian thought they had a fourfold progression let me just to make a closing comment so they spoke of the fourfold aim at each stage so in the youngster in school it was dharma which had nothing to do with outer discipline but dharma was the right law of everything you want to enjoy this is the right way to enjoy see it's so interesting you want to develop a healthy body this is the right way to develop so this dharma which is the true law of everything that basis was laid and then the second aim was the uh, go out into the world wrestle with its forces win the victories um, succeed if you wish whatever is grasped when you grapple with the forces of life and then when you have the necessary uh, you know experience then comes the uh, final aims of earth dharma arth kama moksha so you ultimately you prepare yourself for the final moksha now this moksha has nothing to do with other worldliness but freedom from ignorance but i believe that now there is a jump time and evolutionary process has hastened so first two aims or the middle two aims are really it's not necessary even dharma is now changed its uh, because of the mode of evolution so right now human beings their primary need the primary drive is freedom from ignorance that's why knowledge of all kinds it is the age when knowledge is going to take precedence over everything else but not just a book knowledge but a true knowledge which is born out of wisdom love and strength of will and character so with this i would close thank you so much if there are questions i'll be very happy to take Thank you so much, Bhai. Uh, I mean, we were all mesmerized listening to you and taking down points. It was like as if, you know, it was a journey. I think first we need to take the journey, and then we can take it to our children. So we yes. have a few questions here. Thank you so much. Yes, so please. the first question is that what is the largest obstacle to achieving the consciousness of the mind? to have harmony in all aspects what can be done in day to day life okay so we'll take uh, split them into two parts the first is about the consciousness of the mind so the largest obstacle is narrowness and rigidity so a mind which is too self satisfied you see one of the big problems is uh, as i often say that ignorance is not a problem arrogance is so a mind which does not have the humility i mean if i i have read life of these great um, thinkers scientists at a point of time and i feel children should read it what a tremendous humility even after they have you know discovered so much and achieved so much look at you know somebody like newton and einstein they have the sense of the mystic so uh one of the big problem with the mind is that the more it begins to know it begins to lose the wonder of the child 
whereas we must keep that child in us alive which wants to know so the biggest problem of mind is to be self satisfied with intellectual knowledge and especially when it thinks all that i know it i know there is a limerick to it that i am mr so and so a graduate from belial college all that is knowledge i know it all that i do not know is not knowledge now you know when we adopt that attitude then it is dangerous so fundamental obstacle to all knowledge is lack of humility the intellectual arrogance that comes even this idea that knowledge can come only in this way only by applying your analysis and you know reason on to sense observation you can arrive at knowledge this is a big blunder i don't want to go into it in detail but i am saying with all responsibility as a scientist that's a big blunder but this is one of the means it will it will tell you the processes subtly but knowledge first of all the definition of knowledge in india we have very interesting concept about you know the term is vidya so vidya and avidya are not defined by the degree vidya is oneness in knowledge which vidya is that which liberates us from the sense of division right now we still have avidya we know all about a plant life we know all about human life now next we must know the interconnectedness of the creation now this interconnectedness we must go still deeper the oneness of creation so we are still in avidya though we call it knowledge so we are we when ignorance passes off as knowledge it's dangerous so this is about the mind so mind must always understand that whatever is knows is nothing compared to what needs to be known and then from knowledge is not just intellectual knowledge but it must leap up to sight and experience that comes by direct identification so we must understand this is the second aspect third knowledge is incomplete unless it's all encompassing and integral knowledge in one sphere may be very good specialization but knowledge must be in every aspect of life true knowledge again i have qualified it as vidya which is the knowledge based on the one and oneness so the vedantic way of knowledge was from above downwards very often people say oh what is the ashwatri ashwatri is a top down view of life we want to put it scientifically we have a bottom up view of life from the surface we deduce the soul try to infer or from the mud we try to understand the sun with all our muddy eyes but the way of yoga is discover the sun illumine the side then look at things because you'll be better off discover your own depths find the psychic being the soul within then look at the surfaces of life and you will get a sense and meaning and purpose so this is the big obstacle that you know mind's limitation and what was the second question harmony how to express harmony where is uh, one word answer is to discover the one there is no other basis on which harmony can be created all other basis we can have uh, adjustment acceptance you know this is what we often do oh, let's have a harmony so how do we like to it's okay you know you pactize with what is false untrue what even something contradicts your own deeper self but we say it's okay you know for the sake of harmony i'm doing it so for the sake of harmony let china come and you know take over because we must have harmony with our neighbors harmony is one with truth and truth is based on the bedrock of one so harmony can only come when we step out of division and enter into one meaning thereby we should not two things if we want to harmonize first discover the one doesn't matter call it divine god um, whatever it you know truth perfection no name <laughs> nothingness everythingness it's not important but one 
discover that ultimate reality. This is the basis because it's common in everything. Let's say a simple example: human beings can't harmonize each other with each other. Even two people in a room. Forget about religious harmony and interfaith. Put two human beings together. Look at what is going to happen <laughs> after a few days. So. When uh, you know, mother was asked, "How can humanity become one?" She said, "By becoming conscious of its origin." So, for harmony, we must discover the original principle. We are all divine in a sense. This is the first thing to know. But equally, we must know that there are differences in manifestation, which is what we are speaking about. So, though each one is one in nature, we see that all trees are trees, but each tree is different. in one tree different branches of the same tree are different in one branch on one branch different leaves are different and in a small little twig different leaves are each unique so we must allow understand that on the basis of the one there is the play of variation like in music we have the alap going on sum and on that so one and the many simultaneously to know that that there is the one consciousness behind everything that we must at least understand and conceive go towards experience but to start with that then you know the hate all that must go away we have differences there will be differences so what do we do when we have differences i must follow my own inner truth will it hurt someone maybe it may but i am not doing with the consciousness of hurting the person see the difference there is but sometimes what people do they don't follow their own inner truth they get stifled they they feel existential angst i i mean i see as a psychiatrist people who suffer why because they have never allowed their own inner truth to come out and often they say you know we want harmony it never comes like that you will see that there will be another cause for complaining so harmony comes when we under we don't hate or get in fact if you follow your own deeper truth you will never have anger against anyone you'll feel in fact sympathy and compassion that you know they're not understanding that you know i have to follow my own truth but if you stifle it then the result is anger on one side you have never lived your own true life now again i am qualifying true life that's a qualifier but at the same time chronic irritation sometimes we say because of you sometimes we don't say i sacrifice this that so this is the second aspect third is we must understand that by sacrifice we grow into greater and greater means we in any tendency anything we want to do so there is a lower kind of harmony which comes by uh, you know pactizing with all that is low and ugly in nature and there is a higher harmony which comes by sacrificing the lower for the sake of the higher and sometimes it can go through a very terrible passage like the mahabharata there was a kind of workable harmony i mean and shri krishna broke that harmony why because he wanted a higher harmony based on dharma so you know harmony is not about adjustment and adaptation it may go through a difficult passage but yet it must tend towards truth sacrifice and fourth the most important something which i often say is missing in this civilization and we are suffering from that is love harmony cannot be had by the mind mind divides love unites see now people are talking about this issue of language you know and there is all kinds of division so sometimes i turn back and ask you know two people who speak the same language doesn't matter it may be tamil english sanskrit odia whatever they never fight 
they kill each other sometimes people ask me said oh have you learned tamil i have gone to every state of uh, india so of course six year in pune fmc mbbs and md and then of course here so i said see i want to learn one language <laughs> what is the language language of the heart it never fails you it never deceives you instantly you click you don't need you know this mental ways are extremely divisive oh this is my why because he speaks my language this how mind puts in slots how can this language you know create harmony with another this is superior that is superior ask anybody all over the world they say my language is superior now but language of the heart the dumb knowledge of even if you try to harmonize based on language and mind you can at most harmonize speaking creatures called humans <laughs> whatever we speak <laughs> what about animals they can't speak they can only take out sounds how do we harmonize with them what about plants what about matter what about earth we have ruined it why because we don't have love if we had love and love is directly opposed to selfishness so unselfishness selflessness is the way towards harmony but unselfishness does not mean that i put myself at the mercy of all the others and all the world forces play a football over me it doesn't mean that it means that whatever work i do that's what the mother says in the beginning your aim must be high and wide generous and disinterested that is unselfishness i'm not doing it ki mera kya fayda hoga you know it's not for my own benefit i'm doing it because one loves creation one loves because when any action the difference between an action which is done for a certain reward of you know outer reward and when it is an act of love is the difference between the food we have in a five star seven star hotel and cooked by mom no food can compare it why because there is love you can't manufacture love you can't pay for love so this is i think uh, these are the four things to create harmony yes anything else thank you so much i think the act of love as you said uh, shabri when we remember shabri ke bed yes, uh, yes the the love which the you know all those beautiful vengeance which you know in which is given in a palace yeah. was definitely her bed was more more tastier to shri ram than anything yes, else yes yes there is the famous bhajan of surdas साग दुर्योधन के मेवा त्यागे साग विधुर घर खायो सो इट इज ट्रू दैट वेन देर इज एन समथिंग लव इज देयर इट्स वेरी मच मिसिंग इन टूडे सिविलाइजेशन but our life's aim is different from them how can we differentiate both so life's aim is something which is deep within one has to study oneself there is no shortcut in any case in a general way when we are pursuing something whatever different aims which we are probably you know we won't use the word aim we'll prefer to use the word as i said goals so what we should understand is that whatever goal we have chosen in life doesn't matter let's say a job one has picked up and thinks it's a name start with you know there is no point philosophizing but it's important that we must want to progress 
this urge for progress should be there in any field and if we have it relentlessly we will touch that point where the outer begins to enter into the inner any field see the great scientist material scientist they become so mystic after a point of time because they discover it so whatever field we have chosen field of work which is different from aim but nevertheless even if we mix up the two go to its extreme possibility and discover what is inside it and we will discover at the because whether it's inward or outward everywhere we'll touch the same one so keep progressing the the answer is that we should progress in whatever field we have picked up doesn't matter and when we keep progressing it will lead us to that point where automatically and as i said that whatever work we do we should be unselfish this is the you know a minimum requirement of life if we are selfish then we cannot discover our inner aim because ego is a veil it won't allow us even if we discover a name we will start looking at it ki like mera kya fayda hoga you know there were people who would come to divine and say tell me what you are going to give me divine like that gitanjali story no he will say first you tell me what you are going to give me so people walk away ye kaun sa bhagwan hai humko to dene wala chahiye aur but when we give that's what he transmutes and gives it back see this is the old the principle of sacrifice is this it's the exchange offer so to learn to be unselfish to learn to give be generous that not just for myself am i living whatever field i may be doing it's not just for my satisfaction my little family my children i mean even animals do it what's the difference between then us and uh, animals even animals do it for their little babies for their little den shelter human being should be at least one step better as they say love the neighbors at least to start with <laughs> if if not the whole world so progress unselfishness are the doors through which we will end up entering into that true aim yeah so we have all teachers here so uh, a question from the primary section also which is very beautiful is that what all can we do to give children a platform to gain and absorb knowledge and not merely gather information yes, yes. So, excellent yes so uh, knowledge is something which has to be evoked and deduced see this is how it was uh, always earlier so people this idea that somebody will you know give knowledge is a dated thing is becoming redundant now so we should deal with children ask them their mind should be consulted and they will come up with fascinating things they will come with their own unique ways of looking at things even at a leaf even material knowledge it's okay it will also indicate the different kinds of soul types possibilities but unfortunately this idea of giving knowledge from outside has come because we want a standardized perfection which is the result of reason intervening everything must be cut to size you know when during the beatles time this song came up we want no education <laughs> standard products <laughs> so this idea of standardizing see i give this example look at the moon now ask a child what is it now there will be different answers somebody will say oh it the glory of the shiva's head somebody will say it's a hard dry rock somebody will say it's a upagraha of the earth somebody will say oh it is so charming and romantically beautiful it's okay 
There are different ways of looking at the moon and each of them completes, each of them gives some idea about the moon. So it's a totality and each one has its unique door. But what we do is we suppress all other things and insist on this idea that moon is a you know cold rock, it's an artificial satellite of earth. Now this is very incorrect, wrong way because we are actually conditioning the mind instead of liberating it. Knowledge should liberate. Whereas it becomes conditioning. So when the child grows up, he loses the charm of the moon, he loses poetry and he loses the romantic side of life. For him, moon is simply, you know, I mean, I remember as a child, we used to have the Sharat Purnima. So there was Kheer which was prepared and kept under the moon. Now, you know, <laughs> we used to enjoy the Kheer. Oh, you know, whatever be the thing. Then later on, it's all superstition, doesn't matter what way. But see, it's not about whether this is good or bad. Look at a process. It made it something so beautiful to me. Now when I look at it, it's like you are connecting with the whole cosmos. We don't know what is coming from the moon. We, we have no clue. No scientist can say that there is nothing which is happening. We, all that we say, we, we don't know. Maybe after all, the full moon has an effect in some way or the other. We don't know what happens, what energy is come. But the whole thing becomes so charming. Now that charming side we have lost. That wonder we have lost. As you know the great poet says we have lost, uh, forgotten to stand and stare. Everything is standardized. Read a, pick up a book on moon, it will talk everything except Chandra Shekharai. <laughs> so, <laughs> so consult, allow the child to come out with knowledge, induce it. Then we may put a little corrective here or there, but it, the problem with that is it requires much less children per teacher. Because then you know you can, uh, each child is unique, you can deal with it. This is the biggest problem. I don't know how it will be tackled. Maybe through ultimately digital education. <laughs> Where you have a set of children who are interested in pursuing a certain kind of uh, path. So, But that's still in the future. Yes. Being a facilitator to the children's knowledge is something that, as you said... Uh, we have another question is, how do we open ourselves to divine love? Oh, wonderful. I love the question. How do we open ourselves to the divine love? <laughs> okay. First of all, love will open. Love has the key to the door of divine love. So all of us are given certain keys inside. We are given will, we are given knowledge and we are given emotions. So the first thing is, any aspect, let's say knowledge, I spoke about, you know, keep on by the power of sacrifice, refine knowledge from the crude to subtle, from gross to subtle, subtle, till we reach that one. That's the path of knowledge. So what about love? Initially, love is like, you know, it's a raw material mixed with hate and jealousy and possessiveness and all kinds of things. Extract it. That's the process. Make it selfless, make it more and more beautiful, refined, not the crude vulgar love where I want, but something more refined where love becomes its original root of love is to give. So at least to learn to give. Then initially one gives because one is wants something in return. So there are steps. One is I love myself. I don't care about others. And people call it, if those who care about others, they say, you know, you are too sensitive. You must become a little... Hard skinned means you must re retrogress. <laughs> okay, please don't do that. <laughs> yeah. 
uh, anyways so <laughs> i don't want to <laughs> use terms so first let us you know we love ourselves and ourselves and ourselves next step is we love others if they love us so those who scratch my back i scratch them oh they are wonderful people somebody who tells me that you know you may be wrong mistaken oh this fellow what does he know about me so we love when we are loved and we give in return third step is when we love and we want to receive love we love but beyond a point it gets exhausted because we are not receiving much fourth is when we love we don't want any return but we want it to be acknowledged that's already high moms can love like that that you know at least the child should say once in a while mom you made a very good pudding that's all enough for moms to din ban gaya aur kuch nahi itna that's all moms may have given the life but that particular day when she has made a pudding if the child says mom this was fantastic that's enough so acknowledgement and then but they have to transcend even that when you love because you can't do otherwise you embody that power of love now this is the normal path but there is a shortcut and the shortcut is we become what we truly love so when we love the divine we automatically begin to develop all the power of divine love the way divine loves everyone so that's why there is a long process which i have just described and the shorter process is love the divine in any form name love him truly true bhakti not loving what will i get from this divine nothing just love and give oneself then a time will come by the power of giving our nature will become uh, molded according to the divine nature that's why it's so important you know of course we can love anyone and if we do it without expectation we'll touch the principle of divine love even one can you know like mandodri is a sati Uh, even though you know she loved an asura she is an asur um, kanya and an asur wife but still by the power of love tulsi loved you know uh, um, sankhchud and yet you know by the power of love she could realize it when we love unselfishly selflessly without expectation in anything we can pick up a stone and discover the divine but another approach is when we just love the divine in whatever way whatever name form then very soon very rapidly by the contact with the divine consciousness we begin to be molded in the image and possibilities of divine love so we can and they are not either or we can you know pick up both so shortcut is bhakti and the long cut is love of humanity love of creation but in an unselfish way as a means to refine oneself to be a giver that is the longer path but we can combine both okay uh another question is <coughs> how to distinguish between intuitive knowledge and imagination oh this is a wonderful question about intuitive knowledge and imagination but let me just complete that divine love part first something is left because whatever we think of you know there are aspects of love because normally nowadays we think bhakti jumping dancing and you know doing dhol majira and bhajan please that nothing to do with love very often it's a show i have seen people dancing in you know all these places which is as good or as bad as a club dance with all the nice dress and perfume 
That's not bhakti. So bhakti is that self-giving and how does it manifest? Constant manan, thinking of the divine, reading about the divine, thinking about the attributes of the divine. That's why we have Ramayana, Mahabharata, Bhagavad describing. So when we constantly meditate upon the qualities of the divine, attributes of the divine, think of the divine, serve the divine, then automatically our love becomes manifold and it becomes, we get molded. So this was one part regarding bhakti. So bhakti is not about jumping, dancing. It's very quiet. It's, it's a deep sense. It has nothing to do with, for the sake of divine, I am going to, you know, kill people. It's nothing to do with bhakti. It's, true bhakti is deep within where the soul gives itself to the divine unreservedly, unconditionally. And it's very rare where we find it, we must do pranam to it because it's very powerful. So now we come to this intuitive knowledge and imagination. Now, first is imagination is a power of formation. How do we imagine? We sit down and I say, okay, let me imagine something. So I start imagining. And very often there will be desire, self, my fantasy part. All this will come mixed and this is a conscious, deliberate process. And what is intuition? When the mind is quiet, Pop, sudden like light. There is a flash. You didn't really, you know, wanted that. And it comes. At the most, what we were doing for intuition, we concentrate on an idea. Anything we want to know. We don't start, you know, running the mind towards it. Supposing you want to know about a person, the worst thing to do, by the way. Because it's a world of horror. But supposing you want to know, you know, HRs. <laughs> so, imagination is, oh, he looks smart. He must be good. Then there is, you know, likes, dislikes. Everything is playing upon. There are people who start doing this process. But they are completely misled and deceived. Whereas just stay quiet. Don't try to judge. Don't do anything. Just stay quiet. Let the person's face, the body, the being. Don't judge anything by anything one has heard. After a while, you will just pass through the consciousness and identify it. So imagination requires a different process. Here the mind is forming images. That's how the term imagination comes. Very often images which are satisfying the desired self within us. That's what is daydreaming and fantasizing. Whereas intuition is where by the power of concentration and stillness, because of the concentration the mind becomes still and at a point it passes beyond the object into the subject. That's how it knows and that's how anything can be known. So, intuition comes when the mind is quiet. Imagination is when the mind is active, it is creating images. Imagination is pushed by the desired self and intuition is something which comes from above. Imagination may give us, uh, well, feelings of horror or joy or thrill or pleasure depending on what we are imagining. Intuition brings always the sense of joy, you know, like a creative ananda. It is because it's a higher light. The moment it enters, it creates an aha feeling, you know, like Archimedes. Eureka! You know, that feeling comes because it's something which is descending from above. And finally, intuitive knowledge carries its own certitude. It is going to be. Now, this certitude part, one has to test and retest. So, Initially, as a scientist, when intuition begins to awaken in a human being, it gets mixed with rational mind, could be, could not be, and we don't study it as a scientist should. Whereas actually, if we really begin to, uh, when the intuition becomes active, then we begin to see over a space of time. 
that whether this is leading me in that direction or not. Then we begin to perfect this faculty like any other faculty. It's a faculty which is awakening and we need to perfect it. Like inspiration. We begin to become aware that if we are in a certain state, inspiration works very well. In another state, there is a block. It just doesn't come. With revelation, with visions, intuitions, they are all higher faculties. And they require a certain degree of quietening of the mind. They will not awaken in a consciousness which is restless. So many people who are imaginative, they are, you know, mind is constantly running and throwing up images. So this is how one has to distinguish. And then over a period of time, one gathers experience, one knows that, well, this intuition turned out to be true. And that's how one learns the process. The questions are never ending, Bhaiya. But there is one last question I would take. Okay, and that sure. question has been sent to me on WhatsApp. So, sure, sure. Uh, yeah, so a teacher, Anitu ma'am, she wants to ask that, is being emotional a sign of strength or weakness? Please ask. Is being emotional a sign of strength or weakness? This will apply to everything. Is being intellectual a sign of strength or weakness? Is having a strong willpower, let me put it paradoxically, having strength, is it sign of strength or weakness? <laughs> So it depends upon how we use it. What being emotional means, there is an excess of emotional energy. That's all. Now, if we channelize it towards its, you know, we are given this much money. It's like having a wealth. Now, it may be a weakness if the wealth rides over me. And it becomes a strength if I am its master. So being emotional means that we have either tremendous emotional energy or very small patram, vessel. So widen the vessel, hold this energy, direct it rightly, turn it towards its true purposes and its strength. Let emotion ride over us, <laughs> then drown in, then you know, it's of course a weakness. Not weakness, not the right word, but any energy of nature. Intellect, again the same thing. If we think intellect is the path which will give us knowledge, at some point it will only lead to cultivation of arrogance, which is just the opposite of knowledge. But use the intellect rightly because it's an intelligence given to man. Don't let it ride over us, but be its master by something greater than intelligence. As the mother says, either the psychic being or something still greater. And then we can use it to create, to organize, to express what has been found. As mother puts it very beautifully, intellect is not the instrument of knowledge. It can give form to knowledge. Knowledge comes from above. Similarly, emotions. Emotions are wonderful if one has it. Much better than not having it. But it's a wealth. Use it rightly. Turn it inwards. Learn to make the vessel wider by unselfishness so that it can pour more and more. And then emotions are the direct road to the divine. Same with power. Let power get into the head. And then as the great poet has said, Kanak kanakte saguni madakta adhikai Ya khaye borai hai wo paaye borai <laughs> so, uh, it, if it gets into our head means basically it is the ego which when uses the capacities given to us, it becomes a weakness and path to ruin. Whereas the more we step out the ego and place whatever we have at the service of world at least and finally at the service of the divine, then it becomes something very strong and powerful.
So it depends on how we use it, whether we are its master or we are its slave. सबसे पहले बहुत बहुत धन्यवाद और मुझे सुनकर बहुत ही अच्छा लगा कि तारादी ने भी सुना और उनको जरूरत नहीं है किसी चीज की बट थैंक यू सो मच ये तो परिवार है हम सबका हाँ बेनोदी थैंक यू सो मच